Hello, everyone, and welcome to the New Life Church Rewind Podcast. Uh, I am your co-host, Michael, and I'm sitting here with Pastor Dave. Hey, guys. How are you? And um, we're just glad that you've uh, taken some time out of your day to join us on this new project, and we're very excited about it. And what we're going to be doing here is digging deeper into the sermon that you heard last week. Mm-hmm. And uh, it is our hope that uh, this will be a, a different style and a fun thing that um, you can listen to during your week to dig a little bit deeper into what we're doing here at church. So, uh, Pastor Dave, why don't you tell us a little bit about why we decided to do this project and uh, what it's all about? Yeah, it was something I was thinking about a while back. One of my friends, uh, Dan DeRozier, was doing this in his church in a different way. But uh, we've been talking about how how much fun our life groups are. And yeah. we we kind of run a, a cadence of life groups. We do a fall uh, semester, which is kind of a a la carte, bunch of different studies going on at the same time. And then we take a break for Christmas. And then we do a spring semester where we all study through uh, the same material, one book of the Bible. That's how we've been doing it. Right. And um, it's been great. Those have been a lot of fun. We've had a great time in life groups um, going through all these different studies. But then the summer hits and people go off and they do their things uh which is great. We want people to go out on vacations and do their things with their families. And it's just hard to bring people together uh, as regularly during the summer. So uh, we just thought it might be a good idea to uh, help people with uh, a podcast where they could listen to it when they have the time and still continue to build biblical literacy and uh, just kind of go through some of the things that hit the, the cutting room floor in a sermon preparation time. And I think it could be a lot of fun. Yeah, and, and like you said, uh, people in the summer, they're busy, they're on the run. And so this is a perfect format for people. They can take it on the go with them. It's not um, tied to their, you know, going to church on a Sunday or a life group night. So I'm very excited about this project too. And um, so let's get started. We're going to try to keep these to about 20, 25 minutes. I think that's uh, the right amount of time. And we're going to start with the series on David that we're doing Mm -hmm. um, week one. Uh, Pastor David was called Submissive Heart. And so before we talked about David, we had to talk about Saul. So that's where we're going to start. And we have to dig into Saul a little bit because he was the king that preceded David. He's quite a character. Yeah. And it's always kind of fun to pick on Saul. It is. Uh, He's the big guy who hides in the the bushel barrels or whatever. (laughs) And um, it's, you know, I guess especially as guys, right, it's always easy to, to pick on the big baby. Yeah. But you mentioned in the sermon how one of Saul's biggest flaws as a king was that he wanted God to kind of bless or promote what it was that Saul wanted to do. Mm, yep. But David's heart was different. He, what David really wanted was to have, be on the same page as God, right. as it were. And so does that, did Saul actually have a kind of a almost very normal understanding of what a king was supposed to do in mm. that time, in that area? Did he have almost a pagan understanding hmm. of his relationship with God in that way? I think I think so in some ways. I think um, what I think we tend to see in, in Saul is very normal and how we sometimes relate to God. Mm-hmm. It becomes somewhat of a transactional relationship uh, where we'll do certain things in order to uh, 
get God's favor or God's help, but it's not relational in a lot of ways. And I think that that's how we see Saul. Um, he was treating God kind of like the the pagans would um, to their lower case G-O-D gods. Um, he would go through the motions and really want God to to bless what he was doing. So it was almost like these kings thought they could bend the God's will to their will as opposed to doing the will right. of God. And I, I think what we see from Samuel's reaction to this whole thing is that uh, Israel was never supposed to have a, a king in the first place. Mm-hmm. So the king in a Jewish perspective was supposed to be a representative for God, right. um, an ambassador for God, not the king as the pagans had them. Um, so God is still the king of Israel. He was. They called for a, a pagan type king and God was actually really not happy with that. And Samuel really lambasted the people for it. But uh, God said, I'm gonna give you what you asked for. Yeah, you want a king, you got one. You're going to get one. He says he's going to take your children. He's going to tax you of the wazoo. He's just going <laughs> to, it's going to be really uh, not good for you. It would be much better if you just let me be your king. But, uh, and that's a pretty good uh, lesson to learn. Sometimes God gives us the things we want, even if he knows they're not the best for us. Yeah, so speaking about how Saul did what was best for Saul or what Saul wanted, mm-hmm. you talked about in week one how, God sent Saul to completely wipe out the Amalekites. Mm, it's a tough their, passage. Their women, their children, <laughs> their cows, everything. But he didn't do it. He let their king off the hook. And I wanted to ask you, does this disobeying that Saul did, he didn't completely wipe out the Amalekites. Mm. Does that have any impact today going forward in scripture? Mm. Um did God really know it was best that these people needed to be eliminated? Yeah, that's a tough, I mean, that's a tough one. I mean, that's one of those hard uh, passages of scripture. When you read it, it's like, wow, this is pretty comprehensive. Mm. Uh, and it's it doesn't seem very gracious or loving. It's it's tough, you know, mm-hmm. to, to kind of sync that Old Testament version of, of God with what we expect in a New Testament grace-saturated thing. Right. But um, there were extenuating circumstances that I don't think we can really quite understand. And God did ask, he demanded, he didn't ask, he demanded Saul to do something. And uh, and Saul, uh, maybe through his own uh, feelings of justice, like he was more just than God, I don't know, or just uh, promoting of himself, he, he stopped short of the full extent of what God wanted to do. And he saved many of the, um, the spoils of war. And it makes you wonder if um, Saul being in the likeness of these pagan kings, if he looked at King Agag and thought, I just can't do it to this guy. Like he's a, he's a peer Maybe. of mine. Maybe he just, uh, he didn't have the heart to actually completely wipe out Maybe. Uh, a people group. It could be. Because that's what we were talking about. Oh my gosh, the, yeah. The elimination of these people from history. And, and it comes back harsh. to bite them later. I mean, it really does. Uh, and I, I think that's one of the things that we have to understand about God is that he may ask us to do things that we don't quite understand, mm. but he's got the whole timeline already in his in his mind. We're only we're seeing just a glimpse. We're seeing the present. We can't live in the past or the future. So um, there are scholars who believe that um, 
Agag, the King Agag's family that was spared. Now, Agag was eventually put to death by, right. by Samuel, uh, but his family line did proceed past this time, which ends up getting them. And so do we see any of the lineage of King Agag f- further on in scripture? Well, some scholars would say yes, and some scholars would uh, say no. But okay. uh, there is a reference in the book of Esther to Haman being an Agagite. Um, some scholars would say that he was that Haman who detested the Jews and uh, almost succeeded in having them annihilated completely um, comes from this uh, this line of Agag that was not destroyed by uh, by Saul. Right. So if we look at it in that way, if Saul had done what he was supposed to do, as much as it might turn our stomach as modern people. Mm-hmm. Um, Haman was almost a, a prototype of the ant kind of anti-Semitism we see oh, yeah, throughout history. And so this is another example of how right. Hitler had nothing on Haman. <laughs> and Haman right. So this spirit of anti-Semitism, um, mm-hmm. this was an opportunity for God's people to snuff it out. Right. And uh, Saul just didn't do what he was supposed to do. Yeah. And uh, we don't really know the reasons why. I think uh, it could have been, uh, he felt more compassionate to God. I also think it could have been uh, back in the day, um, kings would use the conquered kings as propaganda. Interesting. They would uh, they would parade them as and they would uh, put them to public spectacle and even execute them publicly. Um, and that may have been what Saul had planned for Agag. Mm-hmm. But all that was to was to elevate himself in the eyes of the people, not God. God wanted him to obey, and that would have been elevating God in the eyes of the people rather than the other way around. So that allows us to move on to David. And David's heart was much different than Saul's. Um, Obviously not a perfect person, David, and we're going to get into that in the next few weeks. But let's talk about the big reveal from the sermon that you didn't preach about. Mm -hmm. You talked about David's questionable lineage. And I was Mm -hmm. wondering if you could tell everybody a little bit about how that didn't fit into the sermon, but it might be important for them to know. Yeah, and just as a disclaimer as we talk about this, this is not... This is from extra biblical sources. It's Jewish tradition that uh, we can you can read it. It's in the Midrash, uh, which is a Jewish commentary on the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. But uh, one of the interesting things about David's lineage, and we see this throughout, even in in the Book of Psalms, David writes a whole psalm about how he was treated as a young man, uh, not well by people and kind of got blamed for things that he didn't do. It's kind of a funny uh, retelling. But uh, there's a there's a, a tradition in, in Judaism that David was considered an illegitimate child by his father and his brothers, um, and it's just a weird story. Uh, it just made me think of this: how there was many people who thought this about the Messiah too. Mm-hmm, yep, that this. Um, this virgin birth story just didn't really hold water. Yeah. This was just a way to uh, deflect from a family scandal. Right, yeah. So where it has its roots is the fact that um, it actually goes back to the book of Ruth. So Jesse, who is David's father, mm-hmm. um, he was one of the top um, people in the village of Bethlehem. He was one of the leaders and uh, he had all these sons, right? And But later on in his life, he started to question his lineage and uh, there's some very uh, legalistic understandings of how 
Jewish people should not marry outside of the Jewish culture. So Ruth was a Moabite. And he started thinking that he should not, because he was part Moabite, he should not be married to a pure-blooded Israelite, Interesting. his wife. So he took a vow. This is all according to Jewish tradition that he took a vow that he would no longer defile his wife's Jewishness by sleeping with her. Interesting. So it, it even gets weirder. So at one point, uh, his wife is so wanting to have more children and wanting to be with her that um, when Jesse was going to take his uh, her concubine as a wife, because that would be more appropriate for somebody who's not a pure pure blooded Israelite. Right. Um, the midwife, or I should say, the um, what do they call it? Uh, the the servant girl to the to the to the yeah, wife. The, the- she makes a deal with. Uh, David's mother, that they would kind of do a uh, Leah and uh, situation where they brought her in to, on the on the oh. night of the consummation. Yeah, the, uh, the old switcheroo. The I old guess switcheroo. You know, <laughs> trying to yeah. find a polite way to say yeah. that. Yeah, yeah I'm trying to be polite. Um, but anyway, she goes into Jesse. The mother of David goes into Jesse, and secretly, uh, she gets uh, she conceives David. So she was so concerned that she didn't disrespect her husband, that she would rather not tell him and take the the ridicule of being either raped or being an adulteress. So David was considered, according to the uh, the Midrash, an illegitimate son. It's a really bizarre story. It's not, you know, canon, but there are some very good indications that David, even as a young man, was not accepted by his family. Right, and and sometimes on the on the podcast here, we're going to get into these things that are extra biblical. So you know, you can do your own sourcing and fact checking on mm-hmm. that. But whether that's true or not, does this play into the kind of disdain that we see that David's brothers have for him? He he really does come off in the scriptures as like the the redheaded stepchild yeah, exactly, or yeah. whatever, and yeah. um, and that I you know he had the different appearance that they talk about. Right. So. Um, Whatever it was, there was a story here. I think Jewish tradition might be uh, the the actual story, but whatever is true, there was a story behind this. He wasn't even he wasn't even invited to stand before Samuel. I mean, he was left out in the fields, and they they didn't even think it was important to bring him in to uh, to the selection process. Later on, we we see when he goes out to uh, meet his brothers when they're uh, fighting the Philistines that they just can't stand him. And then David even writes about it in the Psalms, like I said earlier, um, that he was mistreated by his family. So, how old are we thinking that David is? Uh, kind of during this time when. Uh, the brothers were rejected. He was anointed, just generally speaking. Because I've heard people say as young as 14 and as mm-hmm. old as maybe middle 20s. I've heard both. I'm just wondering what you're- I think he was young. I think probably on the younger side, like 14 is on the younger side. Maybe, you know, I don't, we, we know that even Saul, when Saul is talking to David, he calls him a youth, a youth. Okay, a youth. And if we go back to Jewish tradition, when do you become a man? When you're, you have your bar mitzvah, at 12. I, would, I would assume, yes. At 12. So um, so he's probably a young, you know, he's probably older than 12, but 
pretty young. Maybe not quite war age then. No, yeah, he would have been, yeah. And, and, and he would have been sent out for that. Um, but it, it's interesting because uh, there, there is an expectation that the role that will be filled uh, as king when Saul's done will be similar to Saul in age and bearing and all these things. And David just doesn't meet those expectations. And he's almost like the anti-Saul in a lot of ways. Uh, the person you wouldn't expect to be king. And that goes back to, tr- that's a traditional theme in scripture. We go back a long way. I mean, the concept of um, um, the younger ruling the older is very early. I mean, you have uh, Jacob and Esau. Mm. Jacob rules the older. You have Joseph. The younger rules the older. They're bowing down to him, things like that. You have uh, the unexpected people that are going to lead Moses. Uh, just go all down the line. God loves to take the unexpected and elevate them because why? It's almost like he has to continually destroy the paradigms Absolutely. of this world, the ones that we create, the ones that make sense to us. Right. So that... Um, we would know that it's a supernatural thing because if it's the natural thing, we'll boast, right. we'll get puffed up by it. And I think we see that a lot in the story of David. Yeah, and I think that just goes back to the thing where David used his name to glorify God. Saul used God's name to glorify Saul. And so as we're getting to the end of the week one sermon, we get to the part where David is finally anointed king by Samuel. Mm. And but we know there's this period of time between when that anointing actually happens and when David finally becomes king. Mm-hmm. So is it in this youthful state that God almost created a, I don't know, I'll call it a holy internship for David yeah. that he's, you are next, but you're going to be in the waiting. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm going to give you life experiences. I'm going to pour into you in this time. What do you think about that? Was it, was there a timing to that? I, I think so, and I also think it's a, it's a um, of a subversion of expectation. Eliab, the oldest that Samuel really thought would be anointed, he could have stepped into Saul's shoes like in the moment, mm. um, and he could have uh, he was had the right bearing, the right age, uh, uh, birth order, all these types of things. And no, it's going to go to the youngest one in the family, right? So there's this time period. It's just about 15 years uh, between David's anointing and his coronation. Um, so it's a long time, but he does some incredible things in that period of time that allow him to, um, to grow those leadership muscles, to, um, to build a name for himself and also get used to the life at court. I mean, he's in a king, uh, he, he has to become king from the, from the fields of a shepherd, right? So, and God orchestrates a lot of that. Uh, he ends up being... Uh, in very, very close proximity to Saul, uh, the, the current king, um, while still um, a young man. It's almost like God wanted to give David enough time to really see what Saul looked like. Mm-hmm. That Oh, he got uh, to see it too. Oof. Right, so it's um, sometimes um, the best teaching that can happen is just observation. Mm-hmm. And um, I think we really see that. So the last thing we wanted to talk about um, you kind of ended the sermon with this. Um, we're going to read a scripture here and then I want your take on it. First okay. Samuel 16, 13 through 14. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him, David, 
in the midst of his brothers. And the spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. And Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. Now the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul and a harmful spirit from the Lord tormented him. So how exactly does the Holy Spirit work in the Old Testament as opposed to how we see it work after the day of Pentecost? Yeah, that's a really good question. And I think it's uh, it's tough because I think we often try to um, contextualize Old Testament passages under a New Testament paradigm, mm-hmm. right? So we go back in the Old Testament and we just assume that God is working exactly the same way then that he is right now. There's something called main character syndrome. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if you've heard of this. It's like, most people like to think that they're the main character mm-hmm. of the story. You don't, I don't know if it comes from like video games or books <laughs> or whatever, but- um, I You think, mean I'm not the main character? In this <laughs> but you're certainly not the main character of the Old Testament. Right. There's a different people, different time, right. different culture. So I think um, it's good that we're talking about how it's not that God is different, right. but, but this was a different time for a different people. So the day of Pentecost is- is a is a pivot point in the outpouring of the spirit. In the Old Testament we see we see a very strong uh activity of the Holy Spirit, but it seems to be localized around representatives mm-hmm. of God. It's not the, at mass like we have in the New Testament. Um so you'll see things like even Saul when uh, when Saul was uh anointed king, he was filled with the Holy Spirit. If you look at Psalm uh 1 Samuel chapter 10, uh, it talks about how Saul was anointed and Samuel told me he was gonna go out and he would be filled with the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. Uh, verse six says, and the spirit of the Lord will rush upon you and you will prophesy with them and be turned into another man. And I think that's interesting because the spirit of God fell on Saul and uh, empowered him to represent the kingship of God in the place. We have this with um, holy moments like the burning bush with Moses. Um, you see things like even the, the story of uh, Samson. I mean, he did incredible things, but he was uh, anointed with the Holy Spirit from the womb, right? But it's localized around leaders, judges, kings, and prophets. And oftentimes in the Old Testament, we see that word, at least in most translations, like rush or it came right. upon. This yeah. is an action word. This is a, mm-hmm. um, it seems like it's an empowerment for a specific purpose right. as opposed to empowerment for life and edification going Right, forward. and when you see the, the prophet Elisha, he says, I'm not gonna let you go unless I get a double portion Right, so this this it was highly coveted and used very actively in the Old Testament world, but it wasn't um, poured out on mass like mm-hmm. it is from the day of Pentecost on. Interesting. So the second part of that that we have to talk about before we go. Yeah, this is tough. Too. Verse fourteen says, mm-hmm. "Now the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, mm-hmm. and a harmful spirit from the Lord right. tormented him." So we have to ask. Did God really send an evil spirit upon Saul? Yeah, that's another tough passage of scripture. And I think we have to understand this concept from the uh, from the perspective of um, the anointing being localized, mm-hmm. right? So it says that David was anointed to be king and he was now gonna be God's representative of kingship 
for Israel. So the Holy Spirit came over David and it was removed from Saul. And um, this harmful spirit from God, uh, I, I think we have to be uh, careful when we think about like God harming people mm-hmm. in a spiritual way. Um, but it, it's consistent with the New Testament in many ways. When, when the spirit of, uh, when, a, when, a, when a demonic spirit is removed, um, one of the things we have to do is we have to fill that space with something. Right. So in, in uh, Matthew chapter 12, there's this story where Jesus is talking about how uh, a spirit was removed from me. I'll just read it from this. Uh, chapter 12, uh, where is it here? Verse 43. It says, when the unclean spirit has gone out of the person, it passes through the uh, waterless places seeking rest, but finds none. Then it says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds the house empty, swept and put in order. So there's this, there's this vacancy, mm. right, in the heart. And I think that's what Saul was, was feeling at this point because the spirit that was empowering him to represent God uh, on earth as the king has now been removed and, and, and put into David. So it's, it's this place where we see this troubling spirit come upon Saul. Because in, in verse 45 in Matthew, it says, then it goes and brings with it seven other spirits more evil than itself, and they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that person is worse than the first. So also will it be with this evil generation. So um, there's been a lot of debate on this. I don't think we'll answer that question fully today. Another podcast, another well, time. I don't know. Maybe somebody <laughs> smarter than me, I don't yeah. know. But the, uh, the concept is that we have to be really careful that um, when we accept Christ, that he's not just our savior. I, I, I harp on this a lot in sermons, this concept of Jesus being our savior. That's wonderful. He saved us uh, from our, uh, from our destination of hell, the right. judgment that comes because of our sinful sinfulness. But not only that, uh, we're required to make Jesus our Lord. So when Jesus becomes our savior and our Lord, it means that he's filling that vacant space. He's not just cleaning us out. We're not cleaning house and leaving a vacant for somebody else to come in and do better, uh, more bad things than we were before. He's actually wants to be a resident. Right, this room is not for rent. Right. Jesus lives here now. Right. And, and I think, you know, this is what Saul is dealing with. Uh, when you are uh, a representative of God, think about how much the demons hate that, how much the devil hates that. He wants to attack you. He wants to drag you down. He wants to, to make you ineffective for the kingdom. So if we're not careful, uh, we can leave a space for, uh, for the enemy to, to attack. And we really need to be filled up to overflowing with the Holy Spirit um, so that we can not only make him our savior, but he in practicality is our Lord and, and holds residence in, in us. Yeah, it's almost like the demon says, uh, you kick me out and I'm coming back with all my friends. Mm-hmm. You know, you're not gonna, you bully me out of this space. Right. And, um, you know, we know that uh, the enemy hates someone who, cleans up their room and right. evicts the spirits. And uh, that's a spiritual battle that we all fight. And we all have a target on our back. Saul had a big target on, our, on his back. And uh, as soon as that, that area was vacated, I'm sure that they just poured in. 
And we see this in later in his later life. He's just tormented all the time. He just he cannot handle the fact that the spirit of God was removed from him and he was replaced. And we end up seeing him going on and uh, practically performing witchcraft and all yeah, that's a whole yeah, a whole other thing for a whole other day. Maybe yeah. we'll do a, a series on Saul someday. Yeah. Well, that's it. That covers um, our inaugural episode, week mm-hmm. one. I just want to thank you all for listening, and I just pray that this. This project that New Life Church is taking on will be a blessing to you and your family. And please remember to like, follow, or subscribe to this podcast on whatever uh, platform it is that you use. And I just pray that um, this will be an edifying experience for you every week. And we thank you for listening. Yeah, God bless. God bless. Moabite, 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 Moabite.